Welcome to Labor Law Radio, the most popular podcast for labor and employment issues on the internet. I'm your host, Michael Tracy, and we're back for another segment of an interesting topic. You know, I have a number of subscribers out there for this podcast, and the vast majority of them are not employees seeking to sue their employer. It is actually employers looking for advice in terms of how to comply with the labor laws or avoid getting one of those nasty letters from my law firm demanding a large sum of money. So apparently, you know, on this show I make fun of defense attorneys a lot, so I'll poke some uh, more fun at them here today. Apparently that's because employment, the defense bar is not doing their job in educating employers. So they are coming to me, a plaintiff's attorney, looking for advice, which seems a little bit odd. You might think, wow, with all these employers listening to your podcast, it might be a great strategy to put out some bad advice. Tell them uh, the wrong interpretations of the law, have them screw up, drive up the number of people suing. That would be great for my business. Interesting strategy, but it turns out I don't need it. The uh, employers screw up enough on their own. They do not need my assistance in, in doing so. Interestingly, it appears that you know, the number of claims coming into my office has dramatically increased over the last couple months, and that's probably due to a downturn in the economy as jobs get um, harder to find or people get laid off or there's turnovers, then we see a lot more uh, employment law claims. So just in January, what was it, you know, my office's busiest month uh, to date uh, in terms of intake almost uh, double what a typical month was. December was also pretty high. So in any case, there has been a, a large increase in the number of people filing these claims, probably due to the economy. But hopefully these podcasts are helping some of the employers to comply with the law, as well as the employees know what their rights are. Uh, if you were terminated, uh, if you do have some problems getting paid properly, you have to know what your rights are in order to enforce them. Uh, the government isn't going to launch some massive investigation on, on your behalf. So with that preamble said, what we're going to talk about today is really just something for certain employers. I get asked this question so frequently. Uh, I, again, I wish the defense end of the bar would pick up their uh, responsibility in advising an employer so they don't ask me these questions all the time. But because I get asked it so frequently, I figure I'll do a podcast about it and hopefully put the questions to rest. And that is you know, the topic for this podcast is insurance coverage for wage and hour claims. That is, you're an employer, you got sued, uh, let's say by me, and we're demanding a large sum of money from you. And it turns out you will probably owe that. Like I said, I'm a plaintiff's attorney. I only get paid in the vast majority of cases if I recover some money. So if we are pursuing you, chances are it's because, chances are it is because I think that we will prevail and get some money from you. So when you get one of these lawsuits, uh, the first question is, is are your, does your insurance cover it? You may have some type of uh, officers and directors liability insurance, some type of employment coverage insurance. The big question is, is, well, this has saved me a lot of money here if it would be covered. Well, the simple answer is no. You're generally not covered. But there's a more complex attorney answer. So in this case, I'm actually going to do a plug for the uh, defense bar uh, because a, a lot of the information that I received here was uh, from attending a presentation, and that presentation was put on by Robert Wallen of Pillsbury, Winthrop, Shaw, Pittman. You know, they're a uh, de defense firm, and 
provided a wealth of information on this. Uh, it's very interesting subject because, like I say, the general rule is that you're not going to be covered for wage and hour claims. So unpaid overtime, missed meal breaks, anything like that, your insurance carrier is going to deny you coverage. They're going to say, no, you're not covered. But if you have enterprising attorneys such as Mr. Wallen, um, he can possibly get you your money back, and that's what he's done in a number of cases. But you'll see that it's not quite for everybody because it has to do with ambiguities in your insurance contract. So the particular insurance contract that he was able to prevail on and receive coverage specifically excluded, well, we'll talk a little bit about the, the policy. It was an officer and director's liability and employment, uh, employment practices insurance. And basically what it uh, insured against was wrongful employment practices to include wrongful, dismo wrongful demotion, dismissal, discharge, or termination, employment-related misrepresentation, violation of employment laws, sexual or workplace harassment, employment discrimination, wrongful failure to promote, wrongful discipline, wrongful deprivation of career opportunities, and a couple other things. The main thing there is violation of employment laws. So you would think automatically, well, wage and hour laws, unpaid overtime, that is a violation of employment laws. I would be covered. Well, you have to read the fine print in your employment contract and down later there are a list of exclusions uh, that uh, apply to a particular uh, policy and this particular policy said the following are excluded from representation even if they were included above any laws governing workers compensation unemployment insurance social security disability the fair labor standards act the national labor relations act workers adjustments and retraining act uh, cobra OSHA, rules or regulations promulgated thereunder, amendments thereto, or similar provisions of federal, state, or local statutory law or common law, and ERISA claims. So, when you're saying, well, I mean, maybe my employment law claim falls under the this uh, exemption, rules or regulations promulgated thereunder, amendments thereto, or similar provisions of any federal, state, or local statutory law or common law. And so that sounds like it covers... Uh, wage and hour law those are promulgated by agencies in california statutes and you know it's obviously that the fair labor standards act is exempted because it's specifically listed and it specifically lists anything that's similar to that so the insurer denied it saying well this claim was for california wage and hour law that is similar to the fair labor standard act so obviously you are uh, excluded even though it is a wrongful employment practice that was listed uh, listed above. So that the reason I like this case um, is that it was good lawyering. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of Pillsbury, Winthrop, Strawn, Pittman. They're a big defense firm, and, you know, we've been up against them a couple of times. And, you know, they're, you know, good attorneys, uh, maybe uh, overpriced. But in this case, I think uh, the attorney there, Mr. Wallen, did a great job for his client because it was astute legal maneuvering. I mean, it, a lot of times in wage and hour law, it's a clear-cut right and a clear-cut wrong, and the employer just has to pay some money. Sometimes it requires a bit uh, more legal maneuvering to present the case to the judge or jury in the proper fashion. And that's really what happened in this case, and that's why I like this case, because it really required the attorney to present arguments that showed 
one, that ambiguity is important in insurance contracts. That is, if you can determine that an insurance contract is ambiguous, then the benefit is going to accrue to the insured rather than the company. Essentially, the law is written so that insurers are encouraged to precisely specify the language in their contract so they can't wiggle their way out of it later. We don't want insurers saying, well, employment practices that are like the Fair Labor Standards Act, that's too uh, ambiguous, and that's essentially what came back and bit them here. These insurance contracts are very lengthy. Insurance companies are well represented by attorneys. If they wanted to ex exclude California wage and hour law, they needed only put in we exclude California wage and hour law and the wage and hour laws of every other state in the Union and Puerto Rico and uh, American territories. They could have easily done that. They chose not to. So what the attorney did in this case was show that that did create ambiguity. And especially in some of this uh, construction, I won't get into too much of it, uh, in this podcast because it's really more of a you know language interpretation and how you interpret statutes and how you read particular contract provisions. But the attorney did a very good job of breaking out the way this one particular paragraph was structured, showing how each sentence inside that paragraph related to each other and why the exculpatory clause for the state regulations did not apply to the sentence that talked about the Fair Labor Standards Act. Now, I like precise writing. I was a computer programmer prior to becoming an attorney, and in writing computer programs, you can't throw in, well, I want things like this. I want it to look something like that. I want the result to be close to, here's an example, computer, you figure it out. So I come from a school of very precise writing. When you put something in, you expect a given result according to very strict rules. And I believe that's the way the law should be practiced. A lot of judges don't like that. A lot of arbitrators detest it. They sort of play horseshoes with the law. Well, it's, it's close enough. It's, well, we think this insurance policy probably meant to cover wage and hour issues. I don't like that. And fortunately, the judge in this case didn't like that either. He said, well... Look, if we're going to use language, we have to use it for, you know, what the common sense meaning of it is. We can't simply guess at what people would put in these contracts. Now, obviously, in your day-to-day -day conversations with somebody, you, you do a lot of implying guessing about what they might mean, but you don't have multi-million dollar uh, deals writing on the line. An insurance contract, and this one had a cap of $27.5 million, that is obviously a substantial contract, and they should have spent the time to specify exactly what was covered for no other reason but to avoid wasting the court's time. There's no reason to drive up you know, the judicial, you know, the amount of judicial time that a judge has to spend on this case if the insurer had simply specified exactly what they wanted in that contract. And you see this time and time again, especially in employment contracts, the parties kind of guess at what they might mean, and then later that gives rise to litigation. If they just would have spent the time to put exactly what they meant in that contract, then everything would uh, everything would be fine. So in this case, it was uh, the, the judge determined that it was ambiguous. That amb ambiguity was going to be determined against the employer, and thus that particular claim was going to be covered. But now you can tell from listening to all of this that it is going to be entirely dependent on the language of your particular insurance coverage. So if your insurance coverage says 
We exclude California wage and hour laws specifically, but not including overtime, meal breaks, missed rest breaks, waiting time penalties, 226 violation, you know, pay stub violations and class action violations, attorney's fees, restitution, uh, unfair competition, all the stuff that I throw into one of my complaints, then that's going to be excluded. And there's a, a good number of those that, uh, that exclude them. And if you go shopping for insurance and try to find one that doesn't exclude it, you're, you're going to have a difficult time. You're, I have never heard of an insurance company that openly advertises or sells policies that cover wage and hour violations. The vast majority of them, everyone that I am aware of, has excluded them. And even talking to Mr. Wallen, he was unaware of any that openly cover this particular, uh, this particular area. But if you are bit by a wage and hour class action after you've purchased your insurance, uh, you should engage competent counsel. You can you can call Mr. Wallen at, uh, at Pillsbury and see if he's available to help you. Now, he did offer some guidelines in terms of what type of numbers you need to be involved with in order to make it worth your time. I mean, if it's an individual class action, somebody suing you for you know, individual class action, an individual action, one person, two people suing you for their unpaid overtime, it's not going to be worth attempting to get coverage for that particular claim because the insurance company is going to deny it you're going to have to pay your attorney in order to represent you in that action. It's probably it's going to cost you well in excess of $100,000 in order to test that insurance policy. So the, so the guidelines that he provided were, if your claim is over $500,000, it's probably worth investigating. You may wish to retain an attorney to, to look over the contract, see if you have anything there. If your claim is over a million dollars, then it's it's pretty much a sure thing that you need to retain an attorney to see if they can get coverage for you for that wage and hour claim. So in any case, uh, final plug for, for, for Mr. Wallen. He did an excellent presentation on this, and uh, I don't represent uh, employers who are trying to get insurance. I'm usually the one suing and uh, don't really care whether you have insurance or not because you know, you're not going to declare bankruptcy. We're not going to go after a bankrupt company. Um, or at least spend much time on it. So if you do, uh, again, that's uh, Robert Wallace, Barry Winthrop, Sean Pittman, and that sort of covers the... Uh, well, I'll cover one more thing in there specifically because I get this question and asked a lot. And we've talked a lot about individual liability for officers and directors. You know that I love to sue the director of human resources, the vice president of the company, the CEO of the company, and go after them individually. Uh, we talked about a variety of reasons to do that, especially where the company may be uh, declaring bankruptcy, or they may argue, uh, you know, we don't have the cash, we don't have this, that, the other thing to pay your uh, to pay your claim. So I love to go after officers and directors. And when I talk to employers and these employer groups, they always ask me, well, how can I protect myself? Can I buy this insurance? Well, looking at these contracts here again, the way I normally get officer and director liability is under the Fair Labor Standards Act. So even in this contract here, this one that we analyzed uh, on today's podcast, that one clearly excludes the Fair Labor Standards Act. So you're not going to get insurance coverage for those particular uh, wage and hour claims. So some good news uh, for, the, for the company, but for the officers and directors who are going to be stuck under the Fair Labor Standards Act, again, your best recourse is to make sure that your company is complying with the law, pay your employees the overtime, make sure they get their meal breaks. Now, meal breaks would not subject you to, uh, to FLASA liability, 
but uh, make sure you're paying your overtime properly. Make sure your employees are, are categorized properly, and then you don't have to worry about whether your insurance coverage is going to, to cover it. Okay, so that's it for this week. I'll be back shortly with some more fun uh, employment law topics. This broadcast has been a commercial advertisement of the law office of Michael Tracy, not meant to be legal advice, and does not serve to establish a parent-client relationship. Any statements made during this broadcast are all swear or not guarantees of any outcome. Michael Tracy is licensed as an attorney only in California.